Tech Fan 407. Education, education, education. Hey everybody and welcome to TechFan407. This is going to be a solo show. Um, unfortunately, Tim took some time off last week to uh, finish off at MacStock and head home and that sort of thing. And that meant he had to work on our normal recording day Friday. And I was unavailable on Sunday, which was our backup day. So um, instead of that, I thought that I would record a solo show and uh, hopefully we'll be back to normal next week with our regular scheduled programming. Just like husking my voice today, I'm not sure quite what that is. Still battling the jet lag a little bit, to be honest. It's now Monday, which is just a week after Max got finished. Um, but I stayed on for a couple of days with my son in Chicago. So we actually arrived back very late on Wednesday afternoon last week. Uh, and yeah, we were both pretty tired. Not really able to sleep well on the plane the way overnight on Wednesday night. Um, sorry, Tuesday night, and uh, then we had a lot waiting around the airport Wednesday before we could get our connecting flight home. So we are still pretty tired, and um, yeah, I'm still struggling to get up in the morning. Hopefully I'll be over it before I head off to San Francisco, which I'm doing in a couple of weeks' time, um, and then I'll probably be in the same position again, but hey-ho, it is what it is. Uh, shouldn't be minding about a trip to San Francisco, especially as work is picking up the tab for that one. Had a good time in Chicago though. Um, as I said, we spent a couple of days in the city after Max Stock had finished. So, you know, Alexander and I did the usual touristy things, deep damp, deep pan pizza, river tour, um, looking at the buildings, you know, did, did a, a bit of shopping, that sort of thing. Um, one thing I did get to try, which was pretty fun, was the Amazon Go store, which they have in the center of Chicago. And this is, uh, if you've not heard of it before, Amazon Go is these convenience stores where you use an app um, tied to your Amazon account and you basically swipe that when you go in through the gate at the beginning of the store. Uh, and then they have cameras on all the shelves and sensors on all the shelves and cameras following you around. So effectively, you just have to pick up what you want and walk out of the store with it. There is no checkout at all. Uh, and um, when you do so, then they bill your Amazon account with what you've what you've taken. And um, the weird thing about trying something like that is obviously we didn't really need a full convenience store shop because we were just tourists in, in the center of uh, Chicago. But when we saw the store, we couldn't resist having a go. So um, installed the app, went in and picked up a couple of drinks and a snack and that sort of thing. And hey, it worked, you know, completely reliable. Um, walked out and uh, I was barely 10 steps away from the store when my uh, phone buzzed with a uh, an email from Amazon saying that they'd registered that I'd bought some goods and then about half an hour after that I got sent an itemized bill for what I'd got which was correct so um, pretty neat technology it's great as a technology demonstration I'm not sure how well it would scale um, it'd be interesting to know whether they could do something much much bigger this store was pretty small um, it probably only had about two three aisles of stuff um, and it was a very compact footprint as well so um, it, the, you know it was the usual convenience store 
type things. Maybe it had a bit more of a Whole Foods vibe to it than uh, um, 7-Eleven or something like that. And then they had a stack of uh, shelves selling like Amazon basic stuff like cables and chargers and that sort of thing as well. But it certainly wasn't a full um, supermarket experience by any stretch of the imagination. And I wonder whether they could scale it up to actually cover a large store. I mean, Amazon owns Whole Foods now, so I wonder if they could fit out a whole, a whole Whole Foods store with the same technology and whether it would work. And whether there would be any um, any mileage in doing that, whether that would save them any money. And that would be an interesting thought. Obviously, automation, when Tim and I have talked about this on the show before, automation with self-service um self-service aisles in in supermarkets uh, allows them to run with less staff and this store did not have no staff there were a couple of amazon employees milling around um, presumably there to tell people what was going on and perhaps help them out Um, as i say whether you could scale out to a whole supermarket or not i don't know you'd still need people stacking shelves can't get away from that and um, so whether just you know cutting out the front end of the operation would uh, make enough savings to cover the the costs of fitting out the store reliably with that technology. I don't know. Something to watch, but it was it was fun to try out anyway. Um, so yeah, that was kind of cool. Now just across the river from the um, from the uh, Amazon Go store was the uh, the new Apple store in Chicago. Um, anybody who follows Apple will probably have heard of this store. It's right by the river. It's a Norman Foster kind of glass box design with all glass wind, all glass walls, uh, and then a, a, a kind of a, a roof on the top. That I was told by the um, riverboat architectural tour guide that's meant to look like a MacBook Pro, um, that's been f- uh, kind of closed and then and then put on top of the store. Didn't see that myself, but. Uh, I don't know whether that's a, a true story or not. I couldn't. I couldn't really see. It looked to me just like a nice wooden roof. But anyway, it's a really cool store. Um, obviously, being completely glass walled, um, amazing sight lines, uh, and and you kind of go in and it's on two levels. So you go in at the top, um, and then you're kind of on a balcony looking down. And we, when you come in, you're looking down onto the uh, the big kind of projection display area where they do the theatre stuff, so the where they do the lectures and the, uh, you know, uh, talking about Apple products and that sort of thing. Funnily enough, when I arrived, they were um, doing a, an Amazon student session uh, on programming, coding, uh, programming and coding for robots using the Sphero robots. Um, and there were some kids in the front in the green Apple t-shirts that they were given for that, for that class. Now, that's the same course that my daughter did over here couple of weeks ago so it was kind of fun to see it on a in a kind of a big iconic apple store as opposed to the uh, the little mall store that she did it in um but um but yeah so that that was kind of cool and then you got you kind of go down the steps um to that area and then effectively underneath the balcony you've just come in on is where the actual shopping experience is where all the uh, tables with all the stuff on it and the uh, the walls on the side and, and then the genius bar is at the back there so yeah, it was, it was nice to see it. Um, it's nice to see something that, that has been acclaimed from an architectural point of view. Um, I've never been to the one in New York, the, uh, the glass box one, um, but it was nice to go to one that, that, as I say, has been admired from afar uh, and actually tried out for myself. Um, so that, that was fun. Didn't buy anything while I was there though, gotta be honest. But um, 
I have spent quite a lot of time in Apple stores recently because I um, did a, a yesterday, my, my family and I did a course, uh, a set of three courses, um, uh, tutorial sessions at our local Apple store uh, on using the iPad and Procreate. Uh, and that's what I'm going to talk about for the rest of this episode because it was an interesting experience from a, on a number of levels. Uh, I don't know how many of you listening have ever gone to do any of these uh, Apple courses, these kind of Apple um, tutorial sessions. You know, everything's laid on for you. We didn't have to bring anything with us except ourselves. The iPads were there, Apple Pencils were there, um, you know, a, a tutor with a big screen and, um, you know, a voice mic set up and everything was there and it's all provided for you and um, these these uh, sessions are very focused and obviously delivered very frequently so they're, they're pretty slick they're pretty well done um, and it was it was a good good set of sessions actually I, I really enjoyed it and got some quite nice results if you look at the show note for this um, for this episode you'll see that our show graphic this week is actually the self-portrait that I drew of myself on a iPad with an Apple pencil um, so you can judge the quality of my work for yourself uh, and see what you think. Um, so it was good. So I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But first of all, got to pay the bills. I'm going to mention our sponsor, Otherworld Computing. Uh, it can be found at maxsales.com. Uh, and obviously, you know, we talked about them a lot last week because they were a sponsor at MaxStock. Um, they did some interesting sessions the afternoon. On the Sunday afternoon, they actually did some hardware upgrade sessions where they uh, kind of opened some of these machine up and fitted new RAM and new storage and that sort of thing. And that's very much their bread and butter, um, very much what they're good at. And as I'm on a theme of education this week, uh, I just wanted to mention that if you do buy a product from OWC and you want to do that sort of thing, they have a series on their website of very comprehensive uh, videos that explain how to do various different um, procedures to upgrade particular Macs that you might have with products from from OWC so um, if you've uh, I mean obviously YouTube videos showing how to do these things are kind of ten a penny nowadays but the problem is is that when you go looking on YouTube for that sort of thing unless it's a channel or a, or a person a personality that you you know and respect you might you have no idea whether the person showing you how to do the procedure really knows what they're doing or not. They could just be a person who's decided to have a go at it and filmed their progress, and they may not be giving you good advice about the best way of, of tackling something like that. And if you're breaking up your uh, breaking open your um, multi-hundred dollar computer, um, you really want the reassurance that the, the video you're watching is going to guide you by somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, the guys at, at uh, OWC really do know what they're doing because, as I said, they've been doing this for many, many years. Uh, and there are great instructional videos and it's good to get those from a source you can rely on and trust as being uh, accurate and knowing what they're doing. So I would recommend if you do want to buy uh, any of these upgrade products from OWC that you take a, a, a bit of time just to watch their instructional videos as well uh, and perhaps use that as a reference while you're actually doing the work. Okay then, so let's talk about these sessions that uh, my family and I did at Apple yesterday. So we signed up for, I think we signed up for four, we ended up doing three. Um, it took the whole afternoon, it was a, it ended up being quite a long day and um, by the time we got to the fourth one we were pretty pushed to be honest. So we ended up doing three, 
The first one was uh, an introduction to sketching in notes with the Apple Pencil. Um, and then the second two well, after that were Procreate sessions. So Procreate is a drawing app that you can get for the iPad. Um, and the first session we, we did was kind of just kind of a, an introduction to Procreate. So it was now a session where we were basically taking through most of the features in the program and how those work when you're drawing with an Apple Pencil. Uh, and then the second session was, was really quite interesting. It was co-sponsored by Foster and Partners, who are the architects who did that Apple store that I mentioned, the one in Chicago. Uh, and they've, they've done, Foster and Partners have done many, many famous buildings uh, over, the, over the years. Uh, Sir Norman Foster is, is the key driver behind that architectural practice. Um, and uh, one particular building that's, that's quite well known now is what is a building called the Gherkin in London. It's a cylindrical building, kind of looks like um, they call it the Gherkin. I, to me, I've always thought it looks more like um, a pine cone. Uh, anyway, it's a completely circular glass skyscraper in the centre of London, and um, that's one of theirs. And um, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. And so the the theme of this this particular session was. Um, drawing or creating or designing, uh, coming up with a concept idea for a treehouse uh, and then drawing that in on the iPad using tools on the iPad. So um, that, that was interesting because they really did make the effort to take you through a process rather than just saying draw a treehouse um, and, and kind of got you thinking about some of the elements you might want to put in a design for a treehouse. So it was, it was good. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk through those in a, in a bit more detail and, and discuss how the process works. But um, first of all, I want to talk about the um, devices we were using, which is the iPod, iPad Pro, the 11-inch iPad Pro, um, and the uh, second generation of the Apple Pencil. Now, this was the first time I'd ever really got to spend any time with this device. I have um, a second generation 12-inch uh, iPad Pro myself that I use at home, and I have an Apple Pencil um, the first gen Apple Pencil because that, that was the one which works with that and uh, my daughter also has uh, an iPad Pro she has a 10 and a half inch one of my old ones uh, and she also has an Apple Pencil and she's she's the real artist of the family she's the one who gets the most pleasure out of drawing so um, the reason I ended up with my 12.9 is because I wanted to uh, give her my old iPad Pro and a pencil so that she could spend more time doing electronic drawing um, and yeah I kind of got into it a little bit myself since then so um, but I would looked at but I'd never really used the uh, current generation of iPad Pro so these are the slab sided ones um, that came out most recently um, and yeah very very nice device I know they are extremely expensive but um, they kind of feel expensive when you're using them um, they definitely have a more um, solid aesthetic in terms of handling them than, than my one does um, and the, the, the 10 and a half does because of that slab side just in the same way that the iPhone SE and the iPhone uh, 4, 4S and, and 5 and 5S felt because they had those um, those you know not virtually 90 degree angles on the side with a, a straight edge rather than the tape you get on many Apple devices now um, yeah felt really solid they ha all had the Apple um, kind of uh, magnetic cover on uh, which covers the entire back of the device and then has a corrugated front so you can fold it up and uh, prop the uh, iPad up with it. Um, that was also very nice. Um, and then the second gen pencil. Um, 
which I, I've read a lot of things online saying that oh, it feels a lot better than the first gen because it's um, it's got flat bits on it rather than being completely round. Um, certainly does help it stop rolling away on the table, which is good. Um, and obviously it has this docking mechanism that uh, magnetically docks and wirelessly charges it when you put it on. <coughs> Excuse me. When you put it on the on the side of the iPad, um, which is kind of cool and all. I, I actually, I found myself thinking, I prefer the old way. I prefer the old way of sticking the pencil into the uh, into the uh, lightning port. Of course, the current iPad Pros don't have lightning ports. They have a USB-C port. But nevertheless, in terms of the aesthetic and, and getting the pencil paired, because every time we started one of these sessions, we were given effectively a, a wiped iPad, so we had to repair the pencil. So you have to dock the pencil to the iPad to actually get it to pair. And I found the magnetic charging uh, and, and, and docking uh, interface a little bit finicky, to be honest. Not because you can't find the right place, you can, but it's equally possible, obviously, if you think about it, to put the pencil in either orientation. You can either have it pointing um, towards the volume buttons because it's on that side of the iPad. If you imagine the iPad in portrait mode directly in front of you, it's uh, you're going to put you can put the pencil on on the uh, right hand side. So you can either do it point up or um, towards the volume buttons that are at the top on that side, or point down. Um, now you're meant to put it port down, uh, point down, I mean, so that the um, top of the pencil does not uh, interfere with the volume buttons. But it's not intuitively obvious that you have to do it like that. So what actually happens is it's very easy, particularly if you're not familiar with it, to put the pencil on the wrong way round. And if you do that, the pencil doesn't sync properly to the iPad. You, bizarrely enough, you do get a pop-up indicator. So the iPad kind of knows the iPad pencil is there, but it doesn't sync to it. And so then what can happen is you then start using the iPad and uh, the pencil doesn't work and you have to put it on the other way. When you put it on the other way, then you get a, a, a similar indicator, but it actually um, says Apple Pencil in the indicator and gives you the battery um, level of the pencil. And that tells you that it's been properly, properly um, docked and um, joined up to the iPad. Now, in reality, of course, you're going to do that once and then hopefully the thing's never going to lose um, connectivity again. Uh, and so you'll be fine. So it's probably not as big a deal as perhaps I'm making it. But certainly in the classroom environment, when you're uh, trying to do that multiple times, it was a little bit confusing. And uh, it was a good thing we had the trainer on there because quite a few of the kids in the session, there was about eight or ten of us around that around the table, um, had had trouble with that and couldn't get the iPads to recognize the pencil. Um, and seeing that happen to two or three different people kind of made me think, well, you know, maybe they could have come up with a better way of doing that that, that um, kind of guided you towards doing it the right way. But anyway, that's, that's an aside. The pencil itself is great. Um, me, personally, I couldn't see any difference on the iPad Pro using the first gen pencil versus the current one, even though the current one is meant to be better. Um, the, whatever those improvements are, they weren't something that I have the capability of detecting. I don't know whether I've, if you put one, one of them side by side. The iPad Pro itself though was visibly better than the previous ones. I find the screen is much um, brighter. 
it seems to be more, it seems to pop a little bit more. And to me, certainly to my eyes, even not having the old iPad next to me, um, it appeared that the screen on the new iPad Pros looks visibly better than the than the previous ones. Not that the previous ones are rubbish by any stretch of the imagination, but um, yeah, that it looked mighty mighty pretty, as you might say, the uh, iPad Pro screen that we were using there. So the first session um, kind of really set the scene. It was a half hour session, and it was about um, using the. Uh, using the notes application uh, with the uh, Apple Pencil. Um, and basically this is just like an introduction to drawing on the iPad because you, if you've ever used notes with a pencil, um, there are a set of drawing um, tools that appear at the bottom of the notes application when you're using the pencil. And then you change the, the, type, of pen, the, the type of thickness of the line, whether it's a pencil or a pen, um, whether it's a marker, that sort of thing. And then you can change the colors and all of that. It's pretty simple stuff. Um, so it was a good introductory session and also good, was a good way to understand how the Apple tutorial experience works. Um, we, were in, we were not in a separate area. We were in the middle of the store um, at a table and the guy who was leading us, he basically had either an iPad or a, a MacBook Pro connected to a large TV that was on the stand at the end of the table. And then he was wearing a headset that talked uh, via Bluetooth to a pair of Bluetooth speakers that were um, that were on the, uh, in fact, I said they were Bluetooth. There was two speakers running at the same time. They probably weren't. He was using a wireless mic and they was probably wired into that speaker set. Um, but anyway, at the at each end of the table, there was a, one of the little kind of Beats pill type Bluetooth, uh, Bluetooth speaker sets uh, and he was using that to protect his voice to so make sure we could hear him over the hubbub of the store. It was initially quite distracting being out in the middle of the store. Um, it was fairly busy most of the day there. Um, we were there on a Sunday. I could imagine during the week it's probably a, bit e a little bit easier. I don't know if they run sessions on a Saturday. I would imagine the Saturday it would be um, probably a little bit too much because obviously the, you know, the store is around you. One problem with having the tutor and you doing these sessions in the middle of the store is a couple of times people would come up to the guy, he's wearing an Apple t-shirt, and would ask him a question. Uh, and of course, you know, he would have to, as politely as possible, say, I'm sorry, I'm teaching a session here. Can you please go and find another Apple employee to deal with this with you? Um, so doing it in the middle of the store is not ideal. I, in my preference, if, if I was given an option, would be to either have it in a corner of the store um, where perhaps you can have a bit of space between you and some of the other customers and uh, certainly won't be surrounded by merchandise or perhaps have it in a separate room in the back. Um, that would be um, a better experience, I think, but I would imagine that Apple likes the fact that people can see these sessions being taught in public view um, because it kind of promotes the, uh, the Apple ethos of, you know, look, we're not just here to sell your product. We're here to show you how to get the best out of a product. Um, and, um, you know, they, the, I, th I suspect they want people to be able to see that that's happening. Um, but you know, Apple stores can be busy places and they can be noisy places. Uh, and so that's one slight downside. If you, if you have trouble with concentrating in a loud area, then maybe some of these sessions aren't for you, or perhaps you should try and go during the week when the, um, when the stores tend to be less busy and you, there's, there's less noise. Uh, anyway, the session itself was fine. Uh, it was pretty basic introduction. Um, 
And had I done just that on its own, I would have gone, oh, well, okay, that was nice, but I didn't really learn anything. However, when we went on to the Procreate sessions afterwards, then I really did start to not only learn, but see, um, actually produce things that I didn't know I could produce. And I really would recommend, if you've got any interest at all in drawing on an iPad, um, I would recommend signing up for one or, one or two of these sessions with Procreate um, because really I, I, I was I was really quite impressed. So Procreate is the only drawing app apparently, non-Apple drawing app that Apple promotes in the stores um, because they feel it works the best with the pencil. Um, so yes, Procreate is not an Apple product. Um, it's effectively, it's um, you know, it's a pretty good uh, facsimile of um, something like, not really Photoshop, it's kind of a mix between Photoshop and Illustrator. Um, and it's, a, it's I think it's $8.99 in the UK, probably about $10 in the US. So it's not an expensive program, but it's extremely powerful and is capable of producing some extremely good results. I mean, some of the sample images I've seen with it are absolutely stunning. And it has all of the features that you would expect from, you know, a high-end artistic package. Certainly the sort of thing that on the Mac or the PC, you would probably be looking at spending $40, $50, perhaps even more than that. It, you know, it has all the different brush types, uh, a myriad of different brushes and effects. Um, it does a lot of uh, great things with the palettes. You've got the smudge tools in there. You've got um, all sorts of different artistic distortion type things. It fully supports layering so you can build up your pictures in pieces. Um, it's got great export options. It can export uh, as a PSD file, which means you can take uh, a drawing into Photoshop and still access the layers. Um, it also does JPEGs, PNGs, PDFs. Um, its own format and everything. Um, it really is a great program and um, it was really, really interesting to get a good in-depth tutorial on, on how to use it and um, to demonstrate what, what could be done with it. So the first session we did, which was about an hour, um, involved um, being spending about 20, 25 minutes being given an overview of some of um, Procreate's features and how to draw with it, the pencil. It's all very hands-on, so you're encouraged as the uh, tutor is talking to you to actually be uh, playing around with the program and uh, copy what you see. And, and in the, the, section, the various sessions where he'll show you how to do a line or, or a particular brush effect, and then he'll say, right, well, now you do it, and he'll take you through the, the steps that are required to uh, actually uh, use the same, same technique. And this was something I really valued because Procreate on its own, it's got a very minimal interface. Um, it's not, it's one of those programs that's not hugely discoverable, uh, some of the functions. Um, they are quite, some of them are, are a little bit hidden away um, and you have to kind of know, know how to do them or when to use them. And so being taken through the program like that was really useful um, to get up to speed on those things that probably aren't necessarily that discoverable. I think that's what, if I was going to make any criticism of Procreate, it would be that, is that if you don't have any training on it at all, um, there are probably several reasonably important functions you might not ever properly discover without um, somebody showing them to you. For instance, if you draw a line in Procreate, a uh, kind of a freehand line, Hey, anybody who's, who's even if you're not even no matter I would imagine no matter how good an artist you are it takes a fair amount of practice particularly on an 
electronic glass screen with a plastic stylus um, to draw um, neat straight lines that don't have any waver in them, particularly with a thin uh, stroke. Now what, what you can do with Procreate is if you do a line like that and then you stop and hold at the end of the line, then it will automatically turn it into a fixed straight line for you. Similarly, if you draw a quick circle and then hold at the end of the pen stroke, then it will turn it into a, um, a facsimile of a circle, however well you've drawn it, if it's an ellipsoid or anything. And then there are tools that then pop up that allow you to correct it, turn it into a perfect circle or stretch it and that sort of thing. That's a function that if you didn't know it was there, you probably might never discover it and then be frustrated because there is no direct ruler, uh, ruler tool inside Procreate. It doesn't have one. It basically uses that for um, straight lines. And um, you, as I say, if somebody didn't show it to you, you'd probably never figure out a good way of drawing proper straight lines and proper um, curves and circles and, and cubes and that sort of thing in uh, Procreate. So um, I appreciate you being told about that. Um, and uh, it really did kind of beef up my uh, drawing capabilities when we when it came to that second session about with the treehouse um, and uh, we were also taking through effectively taking a screenshot using the camera um, sort of taking a selfie I mean uh, and then putting that on as an overlay um, into a layer uh, turning the opacity down so it was a little bit uh, more uh, less faint and then basically using that as a template to sketch over the top uh, and basically draw oneself and this is what I did in the uh, picture that you'll find in the show graphic this week that is uh, my attempt to uh, copy myself as I was on the day um, not my, not the uh, it's not going to make Pablo Picasso or um, or uh, Rembrandt's um, paintings lose any value compared to mine I don't think but I was reasonably pleased with the result and um, yeah, I, it's the sort of thing, had I never gone to that session, I probably never would have had the, even the knowledge to attempt, let alone turn out something that was broadly acceptable. So it was fun. So that was an hour. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's in these sort of sessions, obviously you're working with people around the table. I had my kids with me, um, so I was able to see how they were doing and we, we could, you know, laugh and joke about, about how we were getting on and... My daughter in particular got quite um, quite experimental towards the end of her session in terms of the things she was putting around her, her self-portrait. Um, and then there was, there was a few other people. That, there was a guy on my table and uh, I, the stuff he was turning out was, I mean, it was head and shoulders above everybody else's. He, he, he was turning, I don't know whether he was a professional artist or whether he was just a talented amateur, but he was turning out pictures that I thought just looked incredible. Um, so there you go, um, all different skill levels around the table. You know, there were some uh, seven and six year old kids who were doing the sort of stuff that you expect seven and six year old kids to do, but it was still fun and they're still enjoying it and they're still using the technology as well. So the final session we did was the treehouse. Um, and again, I they, they played a little video from um, Norman Foster's, one of his partners, uh, Foster and Associates. I think he's their head of uh, illustrative design, um, big drawer anyway, um, Narinda, I think his name was. Yes, it was Narinda, because I remember they've named a pencil in Procreate after him. Uh, and he did this um, kind of, you know, introductory two minute video talking about how you approach designing a new building 
and, and creating a sketch of it as a concept. Um, and he talks about the process you, you go through where it's, you don't start with the building, you start with the environment. Uh, think about the use that the uh, environment is going to, how that's going to influence what people want to do with the building. And then you start designing the building with those concepts in mind, rather than starting with the building design first. Uh, and then the, um, the pitch we're given is that we're going to design a treehouse. So we spend five, ten minutes on the iPad um, looking at two different forest type environments. There was some people looking at the rainforest and then I was looking at the, uh, on my side of the table we were looking at the Californian red, redwood forests. Fun fact here that we were looking at those and then while we were doing that the tutorial guy said um, you may recognise those forests from um, the Star Wars films because uh, apparently all the forests, forest Endor scenes uh, for the forest moon of Endor were filmed in the Californian redwood forests um, and of course once you know that you can spot them straight away the big wide trunks of the uh, very tall redwood trees were the sort of things that um, that the uh, protagonist of Star Wars was zipping through on those speed bikes and um, you can't unsee it once you've seen it um, so I was looking at those and, and the idea was yes yeah, to try and recreate that environment in drawing form and in procreate and then think about how you might put a structure in there to make use in the environment. So I was thinking about something that um, there was a lot of talk about, um, you know, what does the floor of the forest look like? What type of creatures might live there? So how might you want to build a, a structure in the trees that, you know, doesn't impact the environment, but also protects you from the environment, for instance. California redwood forests apparently are inhabited by a lot of big cats such as cougars and uh, pumas and that sort of thing uh, and obviously if you have a human environment with uh, food and waste and that sort of thing and that's the sort of thing that might attract a predator like that so how do you compensate for that how do you um, how do you integrate into the environment without necessarily opening up to those threats and also you know how do you how do you actually uh, construct something that, that harmonizes with the environment? So we all had different approaches. I went for a kind of a hanging pod type thing um, with, uh, with a, a kind of a ladder built into the tree, carved into the tree so that um, obviously predators couldn't climb up a ladder. Um, I like the fact, I, I like to think that perhaps as a, a user of such a thing, I, I was kind of thinking of it as kind of a hunting lodge type um, environment that to get into it, you had to climb handholds in the tree. So you're actually kind of becoming a tree hugger to get in. Um, and uh, so I was able to use Procreate to actually draw um, something that it was recognizably a redwood forest. Um, it wasn't it wasn't too abstract in that in that point of view. Uh, and then and then build my uh, draw, draw my uh, tree house to scale inside that. And I again, I was happy with the results. And then at the end, we, we kind of we got a follow-up video from our uh, friend at, Nor at Foster Partners um, and that was the end of the session. But, you know, we spent an hour and a half on that uh, and there was a lot of fairly intense concentration going on. Um, and what was interesting about that session was that um, it was specifically aimed at trying to get the technology out of the way so that you concentrate so hard on the task that you're not thinking about the fact that you're using an iPad and an Apple Pencil. And in fact, it was notable in that, se that session that um, the tutor did not talk about the technology at all, um, did not talk about that we were in Procreate, did not talk about the various different tools in, um, 
in the tool set that Procreate gives you, um, it was all very much about well, how, what sort of look are you trying to achieve and how might you achieve that? Um, so it, it was very much you know, kind of you know, moving beyond the technology into actually the artistic realm, which I think is something that, that Apple likes to pride itself on as that its products allow it to do. So it was fun. Um, the, the final session, the one we skipped, was one where we would have gone out into the mall where we were and uh, done some sketching. But that was another hour and a half on top of what we'd already done. And as I said, we were pretty bush by then. And we produced some results. All, all three of us were happy with the results we produced. Um, I took the effort to uh, obviously airdrop them to my phone so I had had them uh, preserved and um, one of the other cool things actually that procreate will do is it will it will show you a compressed video of the, your drawing process so effectively it captures every keystroke uh, every pen stroke and it will then illustrate that as a video so you actually see yourself in fast time kind of assembling your uh, drawing together which is is fun you know and it, is, it will happily export that as a as a short 30 40 second video so that you can see your masterpiece come together and um, it's a very nice effect actually um, a lot of fun so if you've ever get a chance um, if you are not I appreciate many of our listeners won't be near an Apple store particularly those of us who don't live in the US or the UK um, they are the Apple stores are much further and farther between than than they are in, in those countries but if you do get a chance to be close to an Apple store and you can spend a bit of time to visit I would recommend signing up for these sessions they are immensely valuable uh, and there, I think there is something about the, the problem with the like talks in the uh, OWC segment about um, watching a video YouTube is brilliant for that you can find videos of people doing all sorts of things teaching you to do all sorts of things but the difficulty with looking for that stuff on YouTube is you really need to have an idea before you start about what you want to find you need to think, okay, so today I'm going to bake a cake. I want a video to show me how to bake a cake. And you can go looking for that. But the problem is what you can't find if you don't know what you're looking for because you haven't thought of it yet. Uh, you, you won't necessarily come across a video doing something that perhaps you never thought about trying before. Because the nature of uh, the internet is you, it very much helps you to find things if you know what you're looking for. The internet is not great at surfacing things you didn't know you were looking for. Um, and the advantage of these one-to-one um, -one sessions in the Apple stores is that they will present topics to you that you might not have thought about doing. Uh, and they will allow you to have a go in a friendly, um, non-threatening environment where you all the tools you need are there and somebody who kind of knows what they're doing will guide you along. Um, and I, I think there's, there's definitely something to be said for that. There's also something to be said from working in a group, a, a particularly a group of people you don't necessarily know. Um, they, they, you can get find the ideas spark across each other and you can be inspired by what you see other people doing. And obviously you don't get any of that level of interaction when you're sat at home watching a YouTube video. Um, Apple offers all this stuff for free. And um, obviously <laughs> they're hoping by doing that, you'll buy more of their stuff. Uh, and um, so, you know, I don't want to preach too much about how altruistic they are. But at the same time, I think they are trying to help people um, make more interesting, more useful things with their technology. Um, and let's face it, we're all guilty of having these expensive, powerful handheld computers uh, and just sitting there browsing the internet on them and, doing, and watching videos and not doing much else. 
these signing kind of sessions kind of open the door to you to think about these devices as being capable of doing other things and not only that giving you the confidence to realize that you're capable of doing other things with these devices and i think for that you know it's it's definitely worth a go and should be applauded and uh, i would absolutely recommend these sessions to anybody whatever age you are as i said the, the sessions we did uh, the youngest kids there were about six seven uh, and then there was people my age and older um, so 50s onwards so um, really open to all ages and uh, a, r- a real opportunity to do something a bit different uh, spend an afternoon doing something useful and creative um, and for free what could be better than that really So those of you who listened to last week will recall that Tim and I were talking about refocusing the show a little bit. Uh, we want to um, kind of bring it, more back, bring it more back to talking about technology and the things we like uh, and less of the new stuff, which is often, unfortunately, is very, very negative. The, uh, you know, the news today is full of awful things that happened over the weekend and there are technology slants on that in terms of you know how the internet was involved in promoting or disseminating some of these awful things and I really have no interest to talk about them anymore because there's, I don't think there's anything more we can say. Regular listeners will know our views on these sort of things and uh, just saying it over and over again just kind of feels a little bit futile because nothing changes unfortunately so we're keen to get away from that and we are keen to talk about um, more of technology in terms of what it can do for bettering things and for um uh, for yeah for allowing you to do different things and getting some joy out of the use of technology sometimes just for technology's sake um on a product review front i am using something new today which I've not used before. This was actually something that I picked up last week while I was in the States. Um, my son and I, we spent a couple of hours after Stock was finished uh, going around some of the stores and, and really kind of getting under the skin of them. Because when you when you live in a, in, in a foreign country, as we do, we live in the UK, um, you know, most of the stores we have here sell the same stuff. But then you, when you go to a different country, you'll find that the stores there will sell different things. Trends are different, um, buying policies are different, um, the stores themselves are different, and sometimes you can find stuff that you've just never never seen. It's that discoverability thing again. So when uh, when I'm in the States, I like to go to uh, some of the big box stores and really kind of, you know, browse around and, and not kind of, you know, just generally wander around, but really kind of look at everything they sell. And I spotted this, it's not something I'd seen before, and I thought, you know what, I could make use of that. It is the Samsung Go Mic. Uh, and what this is, I'm just, you'll probably hear me picking the box up now so I can actually look at the front of it. This is a, um, Samsung are a fairly well-known brand in computer mics, USB mics. Um, and this is kind of a tiny little condenser microphone um, with uh, attached to a little, by a, a ball socket to a, a little clip. Um, and this is effectively a podcasting, uh, video chatting, gaming mic. The idea is, is that you can clip it to the top of your laptop or you can stand it on the table. Um, the, with, the, with the ball joint, it's pretty flexible. Um, and this produces a reasonably rich condenser mic type sound. 
Um, hopefully you'll hear from my voice that it's certainly a little bit richer than the uh, USB headset I normally use for this. Um, you probably would have heard Tim last week saying when we were talking about that that he often adds a bit of compression and um, um, audio tweaking to my voice after I've recorded locally um, because I'm using a headset mic. I'm hoping with this USB microphone um, because it has a proper condenser capsule in it that I will get a little bit closer to a, a more rich uh, listenable sound without him having to add quite so much uh, processing to my voice afterwards. Um, the downsides of this is that it's pretty small um, so you have to be careful not to touch anything on the table it's mounted on. Um, if I just, I don't know if you can hear that now, but obviously there's a, a USB cable coming out of it and because it's sat on the table, the the stand it's on is actually pretty good. It's pretty, um, it's pretty solid. It's made of metal. Uh, it has some nice rubber feet on it. Um, I, it's obviously designed to try and isolate the microphone from the desk and the surrounding environment, but the nature of any microphone is that, um, particularly a sensitive microphone, is that if it's on a surface and then you put friction into that surface, it runs, there runs a chance of picking it up as background noise. So you have to be careful for that. I'm basically sat here with my hands on my knees to try and avoid um, messing too much with the desk. Um, it's got a, a USB socket on it and also a headphone monitoring socket so you can hear yourself if that's something you need to do. Um, Obviously being USB, it integrates with the audio hijack software I normally use extremely easily. Uh, that was no problem at all. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty pleased with it actually. I'm hoping, as I say, that it sounds a fair bit better than my normal recording setup. This thing is tiny. It is, uh, I'd say the microphone part is actually about three inches tall, all made of metal. Um, so nice and well built. Um, and then it folds into the clip, came with a little carry case for itself and the cable. So it's really very, very portable. I don't have any excuse for not using a proper microphone now while I'm recording um, because it's, it's pretty much pocketable. So I should always make sure that I have this with me. Uh, and um, yeah, as I said, it's designed for um, gaming, podcasting, video chatting, that sort of thing to try and give you a, a better setup than you might do with a headset. The other advantage being a, a capsule mic is that it, um, it has a, a variable pickup. So uh, you can switch it into a, like a full 3D 60 degree mode and then put it in the middle of a table. And the idea is, is multiple people, perhaps if you're on a video call or something, will be able to use it and all be heard. Not tried that yet, um, but uh, you know it's cool that I've got that option. Now they make a big thing on the box here of including some music production software called Performer. I think the uh, packaging on here is a bit out of date because when I um, and, and there's leaflets inside as well. When I went to the URL that they gave me for this free piece of software, um, and obviously I had fairly low expectations. It looks like it's being replaced with something else that's not out yet. So, uh, and I couldn't see the original version, so I've, I can't really talk to the software. Obviously, most of us on uh, Apple hardware have access to GarageBand, which is uh, a great piece of audio processing and, and management software. On the Windows side, um, fewer options, unfortunately. A lot of people use Audacity, uh, and Audacity is great for what it offers for free. I 
got to be honest, I can't stand the way Audacity looks. I can't stand the way a lot of audio programs on Windows look. Um, they the, they all seem to have been designed in the mid-90s and never been updated since then. And, and I find that um, off-putting, let's just say that. Um, maybe it's just because I've used so, much, so many Mac software pieces over the years. I've kind of used more to the Mac aesthetic, I don't know. But um, if I get to the bottom of what's exactly going on with the software, I'll, I will let you know on a later show um, because it's kind of a shame that the software is meant to be included with, however good or not it might be, it's meant to be included with my phone, but you can't actually get it off the web at the moment. But anyway, I would um, I would recommend this in terms of, of usability. It's great. Um, and obviously you can hear what it sounds like now and hopefully it sounds pretty good. And um, I've produced a usable listenable podcast for you um i'm going to sign off now i'm up at 48 minutes which i think is more than enough for a single standalone show hopefully as i say next friday tim and i will be able to communicate as normal and record a regular show um we'll be getting back to wicked trolling um and um yeah we're, we're working on basically putting something together to help help guide us to bring bring the format close to something we listen to so um, that that will be that. We did have some feedback this week from Steve Stavisky, um, but I will leave that until I'm with um, Tim because uh, Steve was addressing a review of the Sony speaker that Tim did specifically uh, a few weeks ago. So I'd rather get Tim's response to Steve's comments. But thank you for getting in touch, Steve. As always, if you do want to get in touch with us, please remember that you can reach us at, um, you can go to our website, techfanpodcast.com, and you can leave us a note there, uh, or there's a contact form there, or you can email us using the show at techfanpodcast.com, or you can um, find us on Twitter at techfanpodcast. Uh, and Tim tells me, although I don't know for certain because I'm not a Facebook user, that we have a Facebook page as well. Um, use your type tech fan as Facebook, I guess, and you'll probably find it. Um, I'm not sure how else to search Facebook because, as I say, I'm not a user. But if you are, I heartily endorse your use of it to get in touch with us. So that's going to do it for me. And um, thanks for listening to my ramblings. And I'll speak to you soon next week.